one weird day in 1876 in Bath County, Kentucky, meat fell from the sky. Meat? 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 Meat! Yes, meat. And in 2019, we were weird enough to write a book about it. Not just any book, because we can't do anything normal. What we decided to do is pretend that the only surviving piece of meat in the world, which really does exist, yeah, we made him the narrator of our story. I can't wait to share it with you. It is called The Meat Shower. It is available now as we speak, or as I speak. I don't know if you're talking right now or not. As you listen and as I speak, it is available now. You can go to our website, thepastandthecurious.com, or the publisher's website, earlyworkspress.com, for more information. The Meat Shower. So you're telling me that they made a Mona Lisa entirely out of chewed bubblegum? Do you think it was the same person who chewed the bubblegum? Oh, that's gross. Anyway, welcome to the show. My name is Mick Sullivan, and this is The Past and the Curious. This episode is about Da Vinci and about a painting that Da Vinci painted that another man stole. It's a fun show. I'm really excited about it. I have some thank yous. I need to thank Lonnie Powers from Book Power for Kids. She played the role of a kind of Effie Trinket sort of character, uh, if you've ever seen The Hunger Games. And I'm also excited to welcome back, at much request, I get a lot of requests to bring back Dr. Awkward, the palindrome professor. But I can't have him on very often because it's kind of hard to do, if you know what I'm saying. Um, But he's here today. If you don't know what palindromes mean, well, I'll tell you before we get started. Anyway, let's start the first story. Welcome to the Renaissance. Oh, Italy, how you have suffered through the darkness of the Middle Ages. And now, here we are, standing on the cusp of a new era, where we will turn our minds to nature, humans, and the world striving to understand how it all works. Congratulations to us all, we've made it. This speech is not even remotely real, though it was very well delivered. Thank you very much, Lonnie. But it is easy to mistake this sentiment as something that people at the time might have actually felt. Most likely, no one at the time realized that a new era, the Renaissance, had begun in the year 1400. It's not like a giant switch flipped, flooding the so-called Dark Ages with the bright light of the Renaissance. Like us, folks were just living their lives day to day. Most people probably never even realized that the world was changing in such tremendous ways. It took historians to do that. Our story centers around Italy which in the early 1400s became the center of the Renaissance, a movement which radiated to the world. The term Renaissance refers to a time period that brought a new focus on philosophy and the arts, sciences, understanding of the world and the mathematics behind it, and also a human's place in it all. Like all other times, it was also a period filled with wars and conflict, because, you know, people, right? But it was a period of great advancement and achievement, some of the greatest the world has ever known. The most famous and probably most important figure from this time and place was a left-handed polymath whose unmarried and socially mismatched parents didn't even pay for him to be educated. Luckily for him, and for the rest of us, he was really smart, and he worked hard to keep getting smarter. 
no one could argue about his genius. His name was Leonardo da Vinci. As a young boy without the means for an education, Leonardo took advantage of the apprentice system in Italy. His natural ability with art and strong grasp of geometry and math, which he somehow learned without ever actually going to school, earned him a spot as an apprentice to an artist in Florence named Verrocchio. Verrocchio was a leading painter and sculptor, and at his workshop near the Arno River, Leonardo rose from sweeping the floors and mixing paints to working side by side with his master. It was not uncommon for an apprentice to handle much of the actual painting in a workshop, and Leonardo was no different. Much of the paint painted onto canvases signed by Verrocchio was actually put there by Leonardo. In 1472, at only 20 years of age, da Vinci officially became a master himself. This meant he could accept commissions for his own work, which he did. That's how you made money. But he also found patronage, or support, from powerful political leaders. He moved to Milan to work under the Duke of Milan, a man named Sforza. He originally got Sforza's attention by making him a lute from a horse skull and silver, which is pretty metal if we're being honest. This horsehead instrument must have worked because Sforza decided to pay him a bunch of money. For 17 years in Milan, he made statues, designed architectural features, created models and drawings. He even painted the masterpiece, The Last Supper, on the wall of the monastery of Santa Maria della Grazia. In addition to all of this, he was learning about the anatomy of living creatures, including people. Of course, to do this, he had to dissect cadavers, or dead bodies. And to get these, he had to dig them up when no one was looking, which is pretty gross. But people learned a lot from his willingness to get his hands dirty. Honestly, he was kind of a rock star. People wanted to hire him for everything, and he honestly left a lot of jobs unfinished because more were always coming his way. But when he did finish something, people would rush to see it in flocks, like we might do for a concert or a Broadway show today. As if this wasn't enough, he was also designing some of the most incredible technology the world has ever seen. Remember, he was a polymath, an expert at many things. Most of his designs were never actually built, like a helicopter and a tank, a diving suit and a super mega gigantic crossbow. These just existed as detailed drawings in his many notebooks filled with a never-ending flow of ideas. Some of his inventions did become real, but either way, he regularly impressed people with the constant, highly detailed ideas that just seemed to come to him in dreams. But all of the military conflict and strife in Italy eventually changed his life. His rich, princely friend Sforza, the Duke of Milan, was overthrown. Fellow Sforza, your days are over. Oh, over, if it wasn't clear. When this happened, da Vinci had to ease on down the road, looking for a new home. Sfone? No, sorry, that didn't really work either. Nice try, though. This time, he wound up in Venice. Here, in 1502, he got to know César Borgia. The Borgias were one of the most powerful families, actually probably the most powerful family in Italy, and not just because their brother was the Pope. They were good people to have as friends, to say the least, and da Vinci was valuable to them for many reasons, not the least of which being his abilities with weapon design. But da Vinci didn't really like war, and he looked for ways to avoid it. A situation arose involving the Arno River. The Arno ran from Florence through Pisa and then to the sea. 
Rivers were the lifeblood of cities. They allowed people to trade with everyone else along the river easily. But they also meant access to the sea and ocean. And this meant trade with the world, which was very important for a city like Florence. Unfortunately, Pisa was in the way. They had recently revolted against Florence, which cramped the style of the powerful people there, who were counting on open trade routes. Things headed for the ocean had to get through Pisa first. This was a problem, and traditional warfare had gone nowhere for decades. And so da Vinci came up with what he thought was a great idea. I'm gonna move me a river. You're going to do what? Moomy a river? Like moo, like a cow? I'm going to move that river. I'm going to change the direction of that river. Move me a river. Oh, I see now. Is it still going to be a river though? You're not going to like build a dam and just flood the forest of wood to make it a lake filled with timber, right? You mean a timber lake? No. I'm going to change the course of this river with my bare hands. Or actually the hands of a bunch of laborers. Da Vinci and another famous man named Machiavelli came up with a plan to dig a new channel through the dry earth, which the river would follow instead. They would divert the river so far that the path would travel all the way around Pisa, leaving it high and dry. The original river path would be nothing more than a muddy trickle. There would be no water to sustain farms and people, no water to trade on, and most importantly, no way to hold up Florence's plans. They thought it was foolproof. Were they right? They were worse than right. They were wrong. Even a genius, left-handed, Italian polymath has a few failures. So soon, he left the service of the Borgias, and settled back in his native Florence, where he began work in 1503 on what would one day become the most famous painting in the world. People still argue about it today, and there is certainly some mystery around it. But most believe it was a commission from a silk merchant named Francesco del Giocondo. The merchant hired da Vinci to paint a portrait of his wife, Lisa. By 1507, da Vinci had yet to finish it, and even when he did, though many believe it remains unfinished still, he never gave it to Francesco. Instead, as da Vinci continued to move around Italy, he took the painting we know as the Mona Lisa with him. Did he do this because he had grown so attached to it? Because he wasn't satisfied with it and planned to work on it further? We just don't know but we do know that he took it with him to France when King Francois I invited him to live and work there under his patronage. It was in da Vinci's possession when he died in 1519, which was a full 16 years after he was hired to paint Lisa del Giocondo. The painting was purchased from da Vinci's assistant by that same French king, who, as an art-loving royal, had quite a collection of paintings. For years, he hung it on the wall of one of his smaller royal homes, of which he had several. There is reason to believe he hung it in the bathroom. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust? You need Shopify for retail. 
With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers inline and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Shopify's sleek, reliable POS hardware takes every major payment method and looks fabulous at the same time. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash lifestyle, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash lifestyle to take your retail business to the next level today. Are you looking for a podcast that your whole family can enjoy that asks the deep philosophical questions like, do trees fart? If you are, then you'll love Tumble, a science podcast for kids. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Marshall. Join us as we explore stories of science discovery from butts to animals, dinosaurs, astronomy, and everything in between. You'll love these stories and you'll learn something new. Find and follow Tumble Science Podcast for Kids wherever you get your podcasts or at sciencepodcastforkids.com. Beatrice from Philadelphia, you have 30 seconds to tell us something awesome. I've already heard it, and I know that it's awesome. So why don't you tell the rest of the people? Hi, my name is Beatrice, and my hero is Marie Curie. Marie Curie was born in Warsaw, Poland on November 7th, 1867. She studied at the Flying University, and then she began her scientific studies in France. Then she married a man named Pierre Curie. Together, they won two Nobel Prizes. Sadly, Marie died from radiation poison. But in her lifetime, she discovered two new radioactive elements, radium and polonium, and became the only woman to win two Nobel Prizes. B, thank you so much. That was awesome. Marie Curie is a fascinating person. I really appreciate you sending that. And if you have a submission for You Have 30 Seconds, there are instructions on our website. All you really need is a voice recorder on a phone. It's as easy as that. Can't wait to hear what you send. You know, I wonder if Da Vinci ever invented a machine that could tell me what time it is. It's quiz time. It's quiz time. It's quiz time. Time, time. Hey, all right, here we go. It's a quiz about Leonardo da Vinci and the Renaissance. So here we go. When Napoleon's troops were in Milan in the early 1800s, what did they do with the giant fresco we know as the Last Supper? It's multiple choice. Did they A, eat breakfast under it, try to paint copies, or use it for target practice? If you said they used it as target practice, you are correct. Though the Mona Lisa belonged to Napoleon at the time and reportedly traveled with him to hang in his commander's tent, his men weren't as interested in Renaissance art. They used the Last Supper for target practice, and years later it had to be restored due to the damage. Amazingly, it survived the bombings during World War II. Question number two. Two years before Leonardo da Vinci was born, Johannes Gutenberg invented something that would change the world. Some say it was the most important invention of all time. What was it? It was the printing press. 
Finally, books and pamphlets could be reproduced quickly so that they could be available to everyone. Before that, books had only been available at libraries or universities. Most were written or copied by hand, which meant that they were very difficult to get your hands on. After the printing press was invented, more and more people learned to read, which allowed them to be exposed to new ideas and ways of thinking, and it was one of the most important aspects of the Renaissance. Okay, question number three. Leonardo da Vinci wasn't the only great Italian Renaissance painter, and he wasn't the only one who shared a name with a Ninja Turtle. Which other painter slash Ninja Turtle namesake was the creator of the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel? It wasn't Raphael, and it wasn't Donatello. It was Michelangelo. Michelangelo and Leonardo were rivals in real life, so they probably didn't share any pizza. The real Michelangelo spent four years painting the incredible frescoes on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. By the end, I bet his arms were pretty tired. Maybe you've seen this before, and if you haven't, that's totally cool. It's very easy to imagine. In a gallery of a fine art museum, someone is set up with their easel or sketch pad, painting or drawing, stopping regularly to stare deep into the detail of a masterpiece on the wall. Masterpieces are just that, masterpieces. They are marvels of detail and technique, filled with inspiration, and for many, they are a unique way to learn to paint. Nothing beats looking at something in person, up close and personal with a critical eye. These art gallery art makers are learning from the masters, even if the masters have been dead for centuries. This is precisely what Louis Beru had in mind when he walked into the Louvre on a Tuesday in 1911. No, he wasn't hoping to take lessons from some zombie painters. He was going to spend the morning with a painting created, and sort of maybe finished, by Leonardo da Vinci 400 years before. In 1911, the Mona Lisa was a pretty normal painting. People knew da Vinci was important, but this wasn't believed to be his most important work. For centuries, it had been out of the public eye, and when it was finally hung on the walls of the Louvre, it was about as exciting to folks as all of the other thousands of paintings that hung on the walls of the 26-acre building. In the late 1800s, some artists and critics began to realize, or simply decided, how great it was. But they were the snobby sort. To most folks, it was just another portrait of a lady who may or may not be smiling. Louis must have been one of these pro-Lisa people, because she's exactly who he was there to see. But when he got to the room where the painting usually hung, he found only four nails that once held it onto the wall. She was gone. Uh, yes, excuse me, I came here to see the Da Vinci in this room, but it's gone. Duh, what? Da Vinci. Yes, I heard you. What painting can't you find? The Mona Lisa. The what? The Mo- The Mona Lisa. We have no painting called the Mona Lisa. Yes, you do. Or you did. It's the Da Vinci painting. It's a half-length portrait of a woman who's kind of smiling, kind of not, and there's some interesting scenes over her shoulder in the distance. And what did you call it? The Mona Lisa. Oui. Well, this is France, and here we call that painting La Joconda. 
Okay, well, it appears La Jaconda is missing from your wall. Any idea where it is? The what? La Jaconda, missing. Where is it? You mean the Mona Lisa is missing? Ah, oh, for the love. This security guard checked with the photography department. They had been working through the collection, so he assumed that the painting was temporarily removed so that photographs could be taken. Was he right? He was worse than right. He was way worse than right. He was super duper ding dong mega wrong. The Mona Lisa had been stolen. The hoopla that followed made it the most famous painting in the world. And you could argue that the Mona Lisa never would have been as famous as it is now if Vincenzo Perugia hadn't initiated a worldwide search when he stole it on a Monday morning in 1911. Vincenzo had worked at the Louvre off and on as a contractor for years. In fact, the museum had chosen 100 paintings, including the Mona Lisa, to put behind glass for extra protection, and Vincenzo had installed many of those glass covers. People hated the glass covers because sometimes the light would reflect on the glass and you couldn't actually see the painting that you came to see, but instead the mirror image of your own face or else someone else near you straining to see the dang thing in the first place. The criticism didn't hurt Vinny any. He did most of his work on Mondays when the museum was closed, so no one was around to complain to him. It's not like he could have done anything about it anyway. He was just a hired hand. A regular guy who moved to France from Italy, living in a tiny apartment, and who was apparently nurturing a quiet, yet burning passion for returning Italy's important artworks back to Italy. He knew all too well that the Louvre would be closed on Mondays. So one Sunday night, instead of going home after work, he and two accomplices snuck into a broom closet and spent the night with the cleaning supplies. When the morning came, they did their stretches, put on work clothes, and a smock which would identify them as maintenance workers. Making a beeline for Lisa, they pulled her off of the wall and quickly headed for the door. In a stairwell, they removed the centuries-old frame and carelessly tossed it aside. Da Vinci painted the Mona Lisa on wood, so it was impossible to roll up, which is a good thing for the art world. So Vinny hid the inflexible rectangle under his smock. The only surprised person he ran into must have been incredibly lacking in the observation department, or else didn't care, because the painting is two and a half feet tall and nearly two feet wide. There is no way Vincenzo didn't look suspicious, especially for someone leaving an art museum. Now that dude didn't say a word. It's hard to know what Vincenzo's plan was. Later, he said he didn't really even have one other than to return the painting to da Vinci's native country of Italy. But many believe that he and the others wanted to either sell it or have someone create copies and then pass those off as the original to several unwitting and lawless collectors who were okay with having stolen art in their collections. Apparently those people exist, and that's totally lame. It took officials at the museum 26 hours to figure out that the painting was gone, and when they did, they searched high and low. It was nowhere in the building. Of course, there were suspects. Some other people had stolen things from them in the past, and they checked with them, but none of those investigations uncovered the slightest shred of evidence on the whereabouts of the Mona Lisa. 
Police even brought the famous painter Pablo Picasso in for questioning. The accusations made him blue for a period. But they explained that they had to look at the crime from all possible angles at once, which he of course understood. Once the international press learned about the heist, the story was everywhere. The New York Times was astounded that someone could walk out of a museum in the heart of a bustling city with a large Renaissance portrait. And the more people heard about it, the more the painting was planted in their imagination. Not many people in North or South America had seen the Mona Lisa. Most Europeans hadn't even seen it. But the case and the amount of money tied to the painting was in every newspaper around the globe. So now everyone knew about the Mona Lisa. All of this attention made it really difficult for Vincenzo to do anything with the pilfered painting. So he stuck it inside a trunk in his tiny apartment, right next to the stove, put some socks and underwear on top of it, and there it stayed for a couple years. To the world, it was just gone, and the authorities slowly began to lose hope. Until one day, an art dealer in Florence got a letter from someone who claimed to have the Mona Lisa. This person wanted to sell it, and to see that it would wind up back in Italy. Uh, yeah, sure, okay, buddy. He probably wrote back. I'm gonna need to see it before I can give you a price. The art dealer assumed that the letter came from someone who actually just had a copy of the Da Vinci. But just in case, he called the curator at the nearby art museum. Vincenzo wrote back, Sure, come on up to Paris. I'll show you the painting. I keep it with my underwear. Nope, not coming up there to see your underwear. You come on down here and you can bring Lisa with you. Vinny was hoping for that cash payment, so he brought the painting, and the art dealer brought his curator friend and the police. Vincenzo was arrested, and for his crime of stealing what became the most famous painting in the world, he served seven months in prison. He later served in the Italian army during World War I and died in relative obscurity. The Mona Lisa, on the other hand, was displayed in Italy to enormous crowds, many of whom had probably never even heard of it until the heist. It returned to Paris on the penultimate day of 1913, and since then it has been the most popular painting at the Louvre, which is arguably the finest fine art museum in the world. Okay, you all, be cool, because it's time for Dr. Awkward. Now, here's the thing about Dr. Awkward. Everything he says is a palindrome. That means it is spelled the exact same way forward as it is backwards. It's pretty crazy. I don't understand why he does that. Anyway, here goes nothing. It's Dr. Awkward, the palindrome professor. It's Dr. Awkward, the palindrome professor. It's Dr. Awkward. It's Dr. Awkward, palindrome. Dr. Awkward, it's great to have you back. Is it I? It is I. Well, I know that everyone has missed you. I get requests to have you on all the time. But you have to understand that I can only have you on every so often for a number of reasons. Seven eaves. No, it's been way more than seven eaves since you were last here. Hey, anyway, you probably noticed that security has changed around the studio. You'll need to wear this name tag while you're here. Shall I write Dr. Awkward on it for you? 
No, it's Abe Sebastian. Ah, is that right? I never knew your full name. Abe Sebastian Awkward. Is that what you would like me to call you? Name now one man. Yes, I'm naming one man, and that man is you. So what should I write on your name tag? Dr. Awkward. Yeah, that was my original suggestion. Well, here you go. Oh, no, it doesn't seem to be very sticky. Uh, I could get some tape so it'll stay on your jacket. No, tie it on. Oh, uh, okay. I'll get a hole punch and then some string, and there we go. Now, we brought you on this episode because I understand that you actually witnessed an art heist, and this is very exciting to me. I heard some of the details, and it seems like you were in the restroom when the heist began. Where was the restroom? As I pee, I see Pisa. Oh, Pisa, Italy. Very fancy. Yes, there's a lot of great art in that city. Though it's alarming that someone tried to steal some, especially from a bathroom. So while you were <clears throat> in this bathroom, you noticed someone stealing some art. Is that how it went down? Elite tile. Tile? Like, oh, like mosaic? That sounds interesting. What was pictured on the tile? Eve. As in Adam and Eve? Whoa. Say, do you ever wonder what Adam said to her when they first met? Like when they saw each other for the first time? Madam in Eden, I'm Adam. <laughs> maybe maybe you're right, yeah. Anyway, what did you do when you saw this art being stolen? Put Elliot's toilet up. Like a portable toilet you were borrowing from someone named Elliot. You put it away. Okay. Well, did you get a good look at the thief? Mom. It was your mom? I can't imagine what was going through your head. Amy, must I jujitsu my ma? Who's Amy? More importantly, did you jujitsu your mom? Ma is just as selfless as I am. Well, it doesn't sound very selfless to steal a mosaic of Eve from a bathroom in Pisa. Art, name no tub time. Emit but one mantra. One mantra. Did you resolve the situation by saying something? Marge, let's send a sadness telegram. So your mom is Marge, and her sadness was the reason that she stole this Eve from the bathroom? And you got her to confront her sadness by writing someone a telegram? What did it say? Mr. Owl met my metal worm. That's it, huh? Well... I don't think this ending is going to work for me. Won't it now? Well, I was hoping for more action. Acrobats, stab Orca. Nurses, run. Now we're talking. Stop, murderous not tonsured rum pots. Tino, dump mud on it. Ooh, yeah, that's the stuff. Slap a ham on Omaha, pals. All right, that's enough. Thanks. I think we can unquestionably call this your most successful visit to the show ever. But that's not saying much, is it? It's Dr. Awkward. It's Dr. Awkward. Palindrome. Well, for those of you who like Dr. Awkward, uh, you're welcome. For those of you who hoped you'd never hear it again, sorry. Sorry.
I can't do it very often though, so you know. Uh, I have a lot of Patreon people to thank again this month. I appreciate it so much. You help me keep going and doing this show. Um, it means a lot. So if anyone else is interested, uh, there are links to our Patreon account on our website, thepastandthecurious.com. Uh, it's a simple way to support the show. So without further ado, I need to thank Abraham. I had a nice message from your mom, Vicky. Abraham, thank you, Abraham. I also need to thank Luca. I had a nice message from your mom, Kate. And I'm so glad, Luca, that you are out there. Luca, Luca, thank you, Luca. Same story. Really cool dad named Phil for probably a pretty cool, probably cooler, actually, kid, if we're going to be honest. Right, Arthur? Arthur, thank you very much. Glad you're out there with those ears listening. And Moses in Astoria, New York. Hello, Moses. Thank you very much, sir. And last but not least, well, actually penultimate, but not ultimate. I don't know. I have a song after this. Anyway, there's one more group of kids that I need to thank. Bingham and Emma, brother and sister. Thank you so much, Bingham and Emma. It makes me so happy to know that you are out there. And last but not least, now using that term correctly, or appropriately, at least, for the situation, I have a song for an old friend named Chris. And uh, I'm going to send it out to her. This is The Past and the Curious. My name is Mick Sullivan. Thank you for listening. Enjoy this little ditty. And I'll talk to you in the future, next month. Chris, 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 this is your song Chris 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 didn't take me long I remember on accident you dressed like Han Solo the white shirt the vest the boots that was so Thanks, everybody. Stay well.